Today's reading is from Genesis 35, verses 1 to 15. Return to Bethel. God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in my day of distress. He has been with me everywhere I go. Then they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and their earrings, and Jacob, Jacob hid them under the oak near Shechem. When they set out, a terror from God came from the cities around them, and they did not pursue Jacob's sons. So Jacob and all who were with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because it was there that God had revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Deborah, the one who had nursed and raised Rebekah, died and was buried under the oak south of Bethel. So Jacob named it Elon Bekuth. God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padan Aram and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you and kings will descend from you. I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at the place where he had spoken to him. Jacob set up a marker at the place where he had spoken to him, a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Well, hello, everybody. My name's Matt, and I'm one of the student ministers here at church. It's great to be here with you today. Now, I hope everybody is surviving lockdown all right. It's been quite a while, hasn't it? But it seems like finally, maybe the end is in sight. Now, I imagine uh, you're all probably getting pretty sick of uh, lockdown and doing the same things over and over again. You know, you see the same people every day. You probably walk along the same paths uh, every time you go out to do exercise. It can get uh, pretty repetitive. But I wonder, outside of lockdown, in normal everyday life, uh, what do you think about change? Do you like change? I think most people probably don't like change. We uh, find it hard when it happens. We try and avoid it when we can. Now, I wonder, what would it take for you to change something. Maybe it would depend on what is being changed, right? So uh, for me, you know, my hair, you might have noticed I've had a, a fresh trim. Uh, all it took for me to change my uh, long, luscious lockdown locks was uh, an upcoming sermon and a persistent wife and a, a mother who kept on asking me when I was going to get a haircut. So that was a pretty easy change for me to make. But how about other things? What about your car, for example? What would it take for you to change the car you're driving? How about the house you're living in? What would need to happen for you to move suburb or move town, move country even? Now, I think we often need something big to happen, don't we, when uh, change for change to occur? We need maybe a disaster or we need very strong prompting by someone to make change. 
often there's just things outside of our control that force us into change. But how about sin in your life? What would it take for you to stop sinning in that one particular way over and over again? What would, it, what would you need uh, for you to change the way you're living? To stop living for the things of this world and to start living for God. Well, we're going to see today that uh, Jacob, he has been slowly changing as we saw last week. Um, but we're going to see today what it takes for Jacob to properly change to turn in obedience to God. We're going to finish our time uh, in the Jacob section of Genesis and we're going to look at what it means for Jacob to live in true worship and obedience. So how about I pray and then we'll jump into it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn from it, that we can grow from it. Lord, we ask today that you will give us ears to hear. Help us to come away loving you more and wanting to live for you in all that we do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we've been working our way through uh, the book of Genesis. We've been uh, looking at Jacob in the last few weeks, uh, thinking about uh, God's faithfulness to him and to Abraham previously, as God promises, uh, makes big promises to them and uh, starts to restore uh, the, the sin of the fall uh, that we happens right at the start of Genesis. And now Jacob, he's going to continue to be around for the next few weeks as we move into the story of Joseph. But this is sort of the last section where it's focused on him. Now, we've seen that Jacob, well, his name means deceiver. And we've seen him live up to that name, haven't we? He deceives his father. He deceives his uncle Laban. He's not the most shining example of a guy who is being chosen to make sure God's promises are being fulfilled. As we saw last week in chapter 32, Jacob is in the midst, in between turmoil, isn't he? He's just come away from turmoil with his uncle Laban. He was just about to be confronted with his brother Esau. And he has this confrontation where he wrestles with God. In this chapter, we see Jacob, he admits his deceitfulness. God changes his name to Israel. And he's blessed by God. He starts to be um, transformed by God. And we see this first part of transformation as he goes out and meets his brother Esau in chapter 33. Uh, instead of um, deceiving his brother, he uh, goes and meets him in a peaceful way. And it starts to look like Jacob is on the right track. But all too quickly, we see Jacob fall into the role of deceiver again. You see, at the end of chapter 33, uh, Jacob tells his brother Esau to go ahead of him into Seir, and he says he'll follow him soon. But instead of following him, like he said he would, he instead goes to a place called Sukkoth. And then eventually he ends up in Shechem. And Jacob moving from one place to another, well, it shouldn't actually surprise us. You see, back in chapter 28, around 30 years before uh, this event, God spoke to Jacob in a dream. He reminds Jacob of the promises that he made to Abraham. And he promises to give Jacob the land in which Jacob is currently lying. As Jacob wakes, he recognizes that this place he is in, well, this is the house of God. And so he makes a vow uh, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, 
so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob makes a vow to return to this place where God is. But after Jacob makes the vow, well, he goes and serves his uncle Laban for around 20 years. And then we see in chapter 31 of Genesis, God reminds Jacob to go back to the land where he had come from. But instead of going back, well, Jacob spends the next 10 years pretty much doing whatever he pleases. He spends time outside the promised land, and then he eventually goes back into it. But when he does, we see he chooses to settle down in Shechem. And Shechem's actually only probably a day's walk away from Bethel, from the place where he was returning to. Jacob's close, but he's not quite there. You might argue that, well, he's moving in the right direction, isn't he? But man, he is moving slowly. It's a sort of halfway obedience by Jacob, which isn't really obedience at all. You see, it's just Jacob being Jacob again, as we've seen all the way throughout the book of Genesis. And you see, the result of Jacob's disobedience, well, it's devastating. In chapter 34 of Genesis, we see a chapter full of lust, full of murder, deceit, wretchedness. In Jacob's disobedience of God, we see great disaster. Again, Jacob has failed. Again, it seems that the promises of God are in trouble. They're being put under threat. We see Jacob needs God to bring things back to order. And so that brings us to our passage today. Come with me and have a look at verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God again reminds Jacob of what he was meant to be doing, returning to Bethel, building an altar and worshipping God there. And how does Jacob respond this time? Well, finally, we see an appropriate and obedient response. Have a look in verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. You see, after showing Jacob his grace time and time again, after always protecting Jacob, after remaining with him wherever he went, Jacob finally listens to God. He finally sees what it means to be obedient to God. And so he goes up to Bethel. But he doesn't just go up. He actually gets all who are with him to rid themselves of idols, rid themselves of foreign gods. He gets them to purify themselves. You see, Jacob understands that to worship God properly means he cannot lo can no longer be associated with these things of other gods from other nations. He has to be devoted to God alone. He knows that he has to be pure in God's sight. God cannot look on sin. Jacob knows that to be in God's presence, he has to be made clean. And so for Jacob and his family, that means ridding themselves of the idols. It means washing themselves from the stain of the foreign nation that they've just plundered in the previous chapter. And it seems like Jacob's family are obedient to this. 
Verse 4, they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak in Shechem. And so as we keep moving on in the story, we see that they've made themselves clean and acceptable to God, and so they set out on their way. And on their journey, well, God protects them. No one pursued them because the terror of God fell on them. Back in chapter 34, we actually see that this was a great fear of Jacob. After his sons had plundered the nations and murdered them, he, gets, he asks them, why have you done this? But he doesn't ask them because he thinks it was wrong to do what they did. Rather, he asks them because he's worried that the nations will now turn on them. But again, rather than Jacob being worried, we see God act. We see God protect Jacob and allow his promises to be fulfilled. We see God keep Jacob safe on his journey. And so arriving at Bethel, Jacob builds an altar and fulfilling his vow from, verse 20, uh, from chapter 28, we can assume that Jacob worshipped, offered joyful sacrifices and gave a tenth of all he had. So finally, we see that at last, Jacob, he's in the place that he was meant to be. He's worshipping God with an obedient heart that is right with God. It all seems like it's come good. And after this obedience and worship of Jacob and his people, we see God's response. And we see God actually bless Jacob. Let's have a read of verse 9 to 13. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Now, this isn't just any old blessing that God is giving in response to Jacob's obedience. This blessing is the same blessing. It's in parallel with what God said to Abraham back in Genesis 17. This is a huge blessing of the promises of the way God is going to work throughout history for salvation. I'm going to quickly run you through some of the parallels with the promise to Abraham, the promise he gives to Jacob. The first similarity that we see is the name change. Just as Abram's name was changed to Abraham, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And we saw this change last week, didn't we, in chapter 32. But I think we see it again here because it symbolizes Jacob's change of character and his change of destiny. Jacob has gone from the deceiver to the father of the nation, of God's nation, of God's people that, yes, they will wrestle with God, but they will be God's people nonetheless. See, Jacob is finally starting to live in line with his name change. He's living under God in obedience as his people. Well, the second parallel we see is the use of God's name, God Almighty. This name was used in the promise of Abraham and it's used again here. And God Almighty, it signifies who God is. It's God's power. It's his sovereignty. It's his rule over all things for all time. It shows God is the one who keeps the promises. He is the one who makes things happen 
the way he wants them to. This God, the eternal, all-powerful God, this is the God that's blessing Jacob. The perfect, holy God who sits in stark contrast to Jacob the deceiver. Well, this God chooses to bless Jacob. And thirdly, we see the content of the blessing is also in parallel to Abraham. God blesses Jacob with a nation, with kings and with a land. Jacob learns, just as Abraham did, that his, from his family will come kings. And ultimately, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. He is the eternal king, the everlasting king who will rule all things for all people, for all time. It's through Jacob's family that the saviour of the world will be born. It's a huge blessing, isn't it? Especially when we see the type of person Jacob is. And finally, we see that the end of the blessing is parallel to Abraham. Because in verse 12, God goes up from Jacob just as he did with Abraham. Now you see, in God blessing Jacob in this way, just as he did with Abraham, God is declaring Jacob to be the one who through whom the promises will continue to be fulfilled. All through the story of Jacob, as things go wrong again and again, well, as Jacob lives up to his name as the deceiver, it makes us wonder how is God going to make things work? How are his plans going to come to fruition? But again, as we've seen all throughout Genesis, God doesn't need a particular type of person to make his plans happen. He doesn't rely on a particular human being who is of some good moral standard to make sure that things go the way they're meant to. Now, again, we see that is in despite of Jacob, even through his failings and his deceitfulness, that God works. God uses his people, his failing people, to bring about his work. He pours out his grace on his, on his servant Jacob to make sure that the, his plans are fulfilled. But he doesn't just choose to use Jacob as part of his plan. He actually blesses Jacob by changing him. He transforms him. He shows him and teaches him what it means to live in worship and obedience of God. You see, I asked at the start of the sermon what it would take for you to change. What is needed for you to say no to sin? What is needed for you to live in worship of God alone? For Jacob, we saw last week that it literally took him wrestling with God to get him to change. And even then, he quickly goes back to his old ways. See, Jacob needs constant reminders, constant um, redirection. He needs a faithful, gracious God to change him to obedience. Jacob could not change on his own. We see his obedience come after God has worked, after God has called him again. And this is the sort of God who Jacob is worshipping. It's a gracious God, a forgiving God, a merciful God who time and time again chooses to love Jacob even when Jacob does not love him back. He chooses to use the weak and the broken to carry out his plans. And friends, it's the same for us as well, isn't it? 
you know, we may think we're strong-willed. We may think that we have the ability to make the right choices, to choose obedience, to turn away from our idols. But unless we see God for who He is, unless He works in our lives to change us, unless He constantly reminds us and picks us up and shows us the way, without that we could not live in obedience to Him. You see, we are all sinful. We have disobedient hearts. On our own, we are dead in our sin. We are so wired to sin that we cannot choose to say no to it. Maybe you're feeling like this now. Maybe you feel like you just can't say no to sin. Maybe you feel like you want to be in a right relationship with God, but you just don't think you could ever be good enough. Friends, can I encourage you, if you're feeling like this, there is good news for you. Please come and meet the God of the Bible. Meet the God of Jacob. And meet his son, Jesus. Because through Jesus, we can be made right with God. You see, Jesus is the only human to have lived in perfect obedience and worship of the Father. Jesus is the one who fulfills the promises given to Jacob and Abraham. Jesus is the eternal saving king who now rules over all things for all time. He's the perfect human that lived in perfect worship and obedience all the way to death on a cross. And in his death, Jesus took on our sin. He took on our rebellion. He took on the punishment that we deserve. Because he was perfect, he didn't stay dead. You see, Jesus rose to new life. In his resurrection, he defeats sin and he defeats death. And he gives us the hope of a restored relationship with the Father. But not only that, in Jesus' death and resurrection, we too are united with him. For those who trust and believe in Jesus' death as forgiveness of our sins, we too are united. Our sinful bodies are also killed on that cross. Our old selves are put to death. And so this means that we can actually live the way God wants us to. We can say no to sin now. We can live in true, proper worship and obedience of the Father. You see, friends, this is the thing that we need to change. This is what it will take for us to have our lives transformed. We need to be confronted with the saving son, the one who dies in our place. That is the only way we can be made right with God. We need to see the grace that is poured out for us through Jesus' blood. This is the only thing that can change us. The only way we can respond appropriately to God and live in true worship and obedience is by trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross in our place. But what does that true worship and obedience actually look like? Well, we see Jacob gives us a good example, don't we? When Jacob is confronted by God, when he is once again called by him to return to Bethel, Jacob sees his need to be fully devoted to God. Jacob rids himself of idols. He rids himself of the things that are not able to be associated with the true and living God. For us, you, you know, it's pretty rare, isn't it, that we 
have these physical idols where we attempted to worship them as foreign gods. I think we have much more subtle and all-consuming idols in our lives. You see, the things of this world, these things that God has created, well, these are the things that we start to worship as more important than the Creator. And these are the things that we need to rid ourselves of if we are to be devoted to God alone. Money, sex, career, status, relationships. And these are the things the world says that we need. These are the things that we make of such importance in our lives. These are the things that we turn into idols. What is it for you? What uh, do you spend your time worrying about? What things do you put time and money into in your life? Is it your kids? Is it your work? What, what extracurricular activities are you giving your kids to do on a Sunday rather than meeting with your brothers and sisters at church? Are you taking that extra shift throughout the working week which is making you too tired to get to growth group uh, on a weeknight? You see, these things, they creep so easily into our lives and they become idols and they become a thing that we worship in place of God. But friends, in proper response to what Jesus has done for us, we need to rid ourselves of these idols. We need to solely worship God alone. As well as Jacob ridding himself of idols, the other thing he does is He makes himself pure. He makes himself clean so that he can properly worship God. And friends, we too need to rid ourselves of our sin. We need to become clean so that we can be with God. And we know that this has been done perfectly for us through Jesus. As Jesus dies, our sinful selves die with him. So as we presented before God, he sees a pure and blameless Jesus. And so we are made acceptable to God because of what Jesus has done. And yet as we live here on this earth, we still need to live in the right response of what Jesus has done for us. As we are united with Christ, we now no longer live the way we used to. In Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Our new selves are to be holy. We are no longer to be corrupted by sin. And yet we so often find ourselves falling it's short, don't we? We often face repetitive sin that just feels like it will never go away. What is that thing for you? What is that one sin in your life that just keeps popping up that you feel like you can never say no to? What is that one thing that when you're presented with the opportunity to sin, you feel like there is no way out? How do we change and transform so that that persistent sin is put to death. Well, just like before, we need to keep reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel, don't we? We need to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus 
and remind ourselves of who we are now in Christ. And friends, we are given the Holy Spirit as we trust in Jesus to transform us into his likeness, to slowly grow us and change us, to put off sin and to live in proper worship of the Father. We can say no to sin now. When we are presented with that temptation, there is a way out. We need to remind ourselves when we face that struggle, remind ourselves that, no, that is no longer the decision we have to make. We can now say no to sin because of Jesus. This is a great joy. This is a freeing thing. And we need to hold on to it and keep preaching it to ourselves. Because I think usually when we're faced with this ongoing sin, we want to rely on ourselves, don't we? We just say to ourselves, you know, I just need to be a little bit better. I just need to work harder. You know, I just put this thing in place. I just read the Bible a little bit more. Eventually, I'll come good. The problem is we are weak, aren't we? We are sinful. And we always end up falling short time and time again. We see it in Jacob. He kept stuffing up. He kept on getting it wrong. How did he end up turning in obedience? Well, it was through God. It was God who persisted. It was God who changed his heart. And that is what we need as well. We need to trust that through the Spirit, God will change us, that he will grow us, that he will transform us to look more like Christ. As we keep learning more about who he is, as we keep understanding who we are in Christ, this is what changes us unfortunately it's not a flick of the switch process it's an ongoing for the rest of our lives process of transformation and growth to look more like christ and jacob needed reminding time and time again and we need reminding time and time again to keep putting off sin to keep living for jesus to keep seeing that we are now alive in christ that our old self is dead But we are going to keep stuffing up, aren't we? We're going to stumble. That's the reality of it as we live in this sinful world, as we live in these sinful bodies. But we know that God is faithful. He promises to bless Jacob despite his sin, as Cole showed us last week. He chooses to bless the weak. He chooses to make these promises to his people despite our sin. You see, it is God Almighty who is sovereign. His plans cannot be thwarted. He promises to grow us and change us and transform us. And so we can trust that that is going to happen. How do I pray and thank God for who he is? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are almighty, that you are sovereign, that you are all-powerful, that you rule forever. We thank you that Despite our rebellion, you still chose to love us by sending Jesus to die in our place. Lord, thank you that we are united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, that our old sinful ways are put to death and that we now can choose to live the way you want us to. Lord, we pray, please change us through your spirit. Grow us to look more like Christ. Help us to put off sin, to flee it, to say no to temptation. Please keep reminding us of the truth of the gospel, reminding us of how almighty you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.